Our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then our New Testament reading is from Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have known Rich and Marilyn Hansen since they moved to Annapolis in I think 2018 and started attending EP. We met right out there in the lobby. Um, since then, we've been in Renew Group, Equip Groups, whatever, uh, various other kinds of things, and uh, have become good friends. Um, some of you might know that Rich, uh, of Rich as an author, uh, he wrote a book called Paradox Lost, which we've used in a couple of our Sunday school classes. Um, when Rich came to Annapolis, uh, it was to be near his grandchildren, I also suspect it was to be near water, um, but I think it's primarily grandchildren. Um, having been ordained in 1980, he was uh, just wrapping up 43 years in the pastoral ministry, most of which was in California. Uh, and when I first met him, he was sort of still trying to figure out what was next for him. Uh, Rich and Marilyn had lived in Ethiopia for I think three or four years where they, Rich taught systematic theology at the Ethiopian Graduate School of, of Theology. What I would say about Rich is he is a world-class listener, uh, and I have learned from him that uh, listening is much more than just not talking. Uh, when he came to Annapolis, he had the idea to use his professional uh, coaching certification, uh, his coaching credentials as a way to train African leaders in leadership coaching. And time does not permit me to uh, go into what became of that, but let's just say that the Lord richly blessed his plans. Rich will be speaking to us from Mark 1, uh, verses 14 through 20. So Rich, welcome. Well, morning everyone. So it's great to be here with you, uh, and uh, John, if you're watching on the internet, thank you for this privilege, um, being a senior pastor of a few churches, I know how jealously pastors guard the pulpit, and whenever you share the pulpit with someone, that's a great honor, and so I'm very, very aware of that. I need to correct one tiny thing, I didn't actually offer to be here today. Uh, <laughs> When I got the call on Friday morning, almost exactly this time, 
Uh, I was in D.C. with the grandkids that Dave mentioned. We were playing a game, and suddenly I got the phone call saying, could you preach on Sunday? And I answered in true biblical fashion. I said, can't you send someone else? And so over a period of a couple of hours, I thought about it and said, that's not exactly the right response. And so uh, here I am. And it's a, it's a joy to be with you. We are going to be reading from Mark's Gospel. And <clears throat> chapter 1 gives us something very interesting about Jesus. As you perhaps know, Mark is the first gospel, the first published gospel, and the words we are going to read are the first recorded words of Jesus in Mark's gospel. So all that to say, these are the first words of Jesus that anyone in the first century heard. And so they must be pretty important. And so we will be reading Mark chapter 1 from verse 14 to verse 20. Hear God's word. Now, after John was arrested, thinking of John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were there in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here together in this place in this time. May your word be proclaimed. May your word do its work. And may all of that not be because of me, but because your Holy Spirit is present and working and able to do things beyond which we can think or even imagine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Something that I learned a long time ago as a preacher that I've always tried to follow, although albeit very imperfectly, is what Luther said during the Reformation. He said, if you preach the gospel in all of its manifestations, all of its ways, and yet do not speak to the issues of your own time and place, you have not preached the gospel at all. And so when, when I got this call and eventually made this offer <laughs> to be here today, the easiest thing for me to do would have been to go back in my sermon file and pull out the message that I thought maybe was a good one and give that today. 
But for some reason, Luther came to my mind, and so I didn't choose the easy path. I chose a harder path, and that path is to ask myself the question, what big issue or issues is EP facing at this moment in its history? How, how could I, as someone who usually sits in the cheap seats uh, way back there, suddenly finding myself in the middle of the playing field, how could I somehow speak to that time and place, this moment? As Dave said, we came here in 2018. We've been involved for about five years. And during these last five years, EP has faced some significant challenges. Many of you know that far better than I do, as someone who's back there in the cheap seats. And I'm not the only one to believe, I'm sure, that by God's grace, John <coughs> Wood was sent here by God to be a catalyst in the healing and the ongoing work of renewal and redemption and new life that God is already at work at here in EP. And so how might this be a moment to hear something new from God? And as I pondered and prayed about this, what kept coming back to me was to invite you today to reflect with me about what makes a true adventure. And so let me tell an adventure story of my own as we get started. So they said we lived in Ethiopia. We did for over four years. And we arrived at Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, in 2010, having absolutely no idea what we were in for. Absolutely no idea. I often say that I was like Abraham. God sent me to a place I did not know. No idea of what we were in for. And we landed, and after a couple of days, uh, our American supervisor invited us to, to go on a walk up in the mountains, because Addis Ababa is built on the side of a mountain. It, it's actually at seven or 8,000 feet. It's the third highest uh, world capital. And so we went, drove up that mountain. Its name is Entoto. And we got out of the car and began walking down a dirt road. And it wasn't long that we were walking down this dirt road, and this dog ran across the road. And a few minutes later, a guy shaking a stick ran after the dog. And our American friend said, no, that's not a dog, that's a hyena. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been here less than three days. I've only seen hyenas in the Lion King movie. And now here's a real hyena that I've seen. I've only been in Africa three days. So we left the road. We, we went on this narrow trail. And the trail opened up into this clearing and we saw this beautiful vista of the mountains. I'm a, a backpacker. I spent a lot of time in California. I love the mountains. And this vista reminded me of the mountains of my home. It, it, it took my breath away. And soon after the mountains, we were in the trail again. And we saw this, this line of ants going across the trail. And we looked down with our hands on our knees to look at the ants. And our friend said, those are African army ants. 
Now, these are ants bigger than any ants I'd ever seen in my entire life. I remember watching a, vi a movie as a kid. I almost said video, but movie as a kid where these, these ants engulfed this whole African village. And I thought, these are those kind of ants, and they're huge. And about 20 seconds later, my wife started doing this. Can you guess what happened? We were sitting there watching the ants, and the ants started climbing up her shoes, and then her socks, and then they were climbing up her legs, and they were biting her. And these ants have huge jaws. These bites hurt. And so by then, my wife was going, <laughs> a literal picture of ants in the pants. And so our American friend, who knew what was happening, said, there's only one cure for this. You have to take off her pants. And so that's what we did. We stripped off her pants. We went behind a bush. And I brushed all of these ants off of her legs. So that story became a parable for our lives in Ethiopia. This, this ever-evolving hybrid nature of something grand and unexpected and beautiful, followed by ants in our pants. And so I believe that all real adventures have this kind of quality. I believe all real adventures have a quality that's a hybrid kind of thing where you are walking on a tightrope between the known and the unknown. Because you see, if you spend all your time in the known, it's never an adventure, right? It's just familiar. It's what you do every day. It's what you expect. Nothing exciting, ordinary life. And if you spend all your time in the unknown, in the strange, it's just chaos. But when you spend your life somehow straddling the known and the unknown, when you can step far enough into the unknown, but then back into the known, and you have this some kind of this walk, then that's when adventures really take a hold of your life. That's when adventures become stimulating and exciting. That's when you get the joy of an adventure but it only happens in this hybrid kind of thing that you need both the unknown and the known to create. Well, it's my task today in a very short amount of time to convince you that following Jesus is this kind of an adventure. Following Jesus is this kind of an adventure that becomes exciting for us, that we can't get enough of it, when there's this element of the known and the unknown working its will together in us. And so, as a test case, I realize not all of you might think adventure as the first word that comes to mind when you think of the Christian life. You might think commitment, you might think duty. But if my job today is to convince you it's also an adventure, let's look at the very first people Jesus calls into this adventure. And so, as we read, Jesus comes, the very first words that anyone hears from Jesus in the four Gospels are again these. 
He came preaching the gospel of God. So what he's going to be talking about is the good news, the gospel. And the gospel of God that Jesus came preaching is not eternal life. It's not forgiveness. It's not heaven and hell. What is the gospel that Jesus is preaching? It's the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And just so we don't miss it, he said, he's preaching the gospel of God. Here it is. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe this good news. What good news? What he just said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. According to Jesus, the gospel, the good news, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if, if you're like me, I grew up in a church where I never really heard about the kingdom of God. And yet the kingdom of God is everywhere in the four Gospels. The kingdom of God appears 122 times in the four Gospels, 99 of those times on the lips of Jesus himself. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more occasions than he talks about heaven or hell or eternal life or any of those things we think about more. And if Jesus spends so much time talking about the kingdom of God, then it must be pretty important. So what is this kingdom of God? Well, it's, it's the grand trajectory of the story of the whole Bible. It's the grand story that God is going to send a rescuer, Jesus, into the world that he created so that everything that is broken in people and broken in all creation can be renewed and restored. The kingdom of God's story begins in creation that is called good and quickly after creation becomes, has the fall where everything is broken. And then God sends prophets like Isaiah that we heard from this morning, promising that God is going to come and fix everything. Everything is going to be made new again. And in fact, the words we heard from Isaiah 61, as you might know, are the very words Jesus uses in his first sermon in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. These are the words of all the possibilities Jesus chose to announce who he was to the hometown crowd. And he actually says, which gets him in trouble, they're ready to throw him off a cliff because he says this. Do you remember what he says? Today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one who has come to make this happen that Isaiah predicted so long ago. And so Jesus is the Father's agent of rescue and renewal. And the Bible's great grand arc ends with a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth, a new physical reality. And as we heard in the book of Revelation about this new place, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Did you hear the word kingdoms there? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom 
of our Lord and of his Christ. Jesus now takes his place as king. The best thing I ever heard about this was written by a man named Abraham Kuyper, who was a Dutch theologian at the turn of the century. And he said, there is no square inch of creation that Jesus, the sovereign king, does not see and call out mine. No square inch of all creation, not just in churches, not just in Christian people, in the places that are the dark places, the darkest of all places, the places we want to shy away from. Jesus calls each of those places mine. And if we are a part of Jesus' mission, some of us will go to those places. So that's the mission. How about the call? Well, these first ones that Jesus called knew all about this mission. Unlike me, they had been hearing about the kingdom of God read from the scriptures in their synagogue since they were little boys. They knew all about the kingdom of God. They knew how their people had been waiting in expectation for century after century to see the signs that Isaiah predicted that Jesus said are now coming true in him. And they also knew all about fishing. They lived their lives as fishermen. And so these disciples now are confronted with, what is this fishers of men all about? We know fishing. What does it mean to be a fisher of men? And you see again the hybrid nature of the adventure. They knew all about fishing. They're being asked to step into something new, fishing for men. And in order to step into that new thing, they need to leave behind some things that are known. They need to leave behind their nets. They need to leave behind their fishing partners. And they need to step into something new. That step is always hard. None of us want to leave our comfort zones. Absolutely not. When we were considering going to Ethiopia, I was one of those people who said, God, I will really want to serve you. Just never send me to Africa. Guess what? And so what does it mean when we step out of a comfort zone and into a new place? Let me ask you, why is it hard for me, why maybe is it hard for you to step into this adventure with Jesus? The best reason for some of us is it's, it's too hard. Certainly it was hard for those first disciples to walk away from their nets, to walk away from the life they had known. And as I said, I was no spiritual hero. I was kind of thinking, you know, it would really be neat to, to go to somewhere in Europe as a missionary. I mean, I could, I could teach there, you know, we could travel a lot. That sounds great. So 
stepping into the unknown is not necessarily easy. What keeps us from doing it? Well, one is that it's hard. But you know what I've come to believe? I believe even though it's hard, what keeps more of us from stepping, more people from stepping into this real adventure with Jesus, paradoxically, is that it's been presented to us as too easy. Instead of being too hard, it's been presented to us as too easy. For some of us, we've been told the gospel is simply about getting right by God so we can go to heaven. For others, it's being told that Christians really don't care about all of these things happening in the world that break people's hearts, injustice, and how people's well-being is not being cared for, that break their hearts. And so many of those people find a different way of channeling that thing that keeps bubbling up inside of them that says, I should be caring about justice. I should be caring about the ways people are being broken and not healed. Little realizing that they are created in the very image of the God who planted within them that bubbling up desire and that God has that desire for justice and for caring for people's needs far, far, far more than they do. If they only knew that too is part of God's agenda. One of the people that have helped me understand this the best is a man named N.T. Wright. Uh, the Sunday school class I'm with here at EP is actually uh, reading one of his books and studying it. N.T. Wright's a quite well-known British theologian. In his book, called Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church, he writes this. When the church is seen to move straight from worship of the God we see in Jesus to making a difference and affecting much-needed change in the world, when it becomes clear that the people who feast at Jesus' table are the ones in the forefront of work to eliminate hunger and famine. When people realize that those who pray for and in the spirit to work in and through them are the people who seem to have the extra resources of love and patience in caring for those whose lives are damaged, bruised, and shamed. Then it is not only natural to speak of Jesus himself and to encourage others to worship him for themselves and find out what belonging to his family is all about. But it is also natural for people, however irreligious they may think themselves to be, to recognize that something is going on that they want to be a part of. In terms that the author of Acts might have used, Listen, when the church is living out the kingdom of God, the word of God will spread powerfully and do its own work. When the church is living out this amazing, magnificent rescue operation called the kingdom of God that is moving into every square inch of this world, People want to join it. You can't keep them away. 
when the church is living out the kingdom of God, everything else, all of our evangelism programs, take care of themselves. I read an article a while ago about um, elite military units like the Navy SEALs and why they're so successful. Uh, there may be someone here this morning from one of those elite units, and so I will beg your forgiveness in advance if what this article says doesn't square with your experience. But the article said that the two reasons elite units like the Navy SEALs are so successful is they have two qualities that are absolutes for them. They are 100% committed to. They are 100% committed to their mission, and they are 100% committed to care for each other. Now, as I read the New Testament, that seems to be what the New Testament church is all about. That's what you see in the book of Acts. The church is 100% committed to its mission, but they are also 100% committed to each other. And so we've seen this absolute focus of Jesus' mission as the kingdom of God, renewing and restoring creation, fixing what is broken in us and in his all creation. But how about the absolute care for each other? You see, this is the last ingredient of what makes adventures really exciting. Because to have a real adventure, we need to share it. To have a real adventure, we need to share it with someone. Don't you know that? You know, you come back and you talk about it together. And you say, remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? Remember when you had the ants in your pants? <laughs> Adventures happen and are dynamic when they are shared. Now, these first disciples were also sharing something. Jesus' invitation to follow him is asking them to change one group activity for another group activity. When they thought of fishing, they thought of boats and nets and partners because it was literally impossible for them to fish by themselves. You see, this is where our worldviews can mess things up because when we hear the word fishing as Americans, we think of someone with a pole sitting by a lake. That mental category would not have even existed for Peter and James and John and these fishermen. The only way they could conceive of fishing working, hauling these huge nets into boats, is that it was a communal enterprise. You had to have partners if you were wanting to catch fish. You could not do it by yourself. And so Fishers of Men is another communal enterprise. Remember, they knew the known. They knew about fishing. Now they are invited into something new, a new adventure, where they're going to be fishing in a different kind of way. But it's still fishing. And the only fishing they know is something that you do together. What does that mean for us? It means that if we want to be part of this adventure, we've got to go on the adventure together. 
We've got to have some people that we are all in for and some people who are all in for us. We've got to have some people who we can actually live out those 40 uh, love one another commands. Do you know about the one another commands in the New Testament? There are 40 of them. We have to have some people who are living them out for us and we can be living them out for them. And of course, we have at EP things where this happens in wonderful ways and renew groups in other ways. So let me end with where I began today on Mount Entoto. I've been talking about adventures. I've been trying to convince you that following Jesus is not simply a duty or a commitment, but an adventure. I don't know if I have or not. But here's what I believe is true. Are we at EP, myself, you, all of us, are we ready to think about some new adventures with Jesus? Yes, it will mean stepping into some new things, venturing into some unfamiliar territory, It'll mean leaving some nets behind. Yes, it will mean some moments of ants in our pants. But it will also mean that there will be new opportunities when God's grace is working so amazing that things will happen that we would never have expected when we're on this journey through the trail of life that we call EP. And at those moments, we will have our breath taken away. The only way we can have those moments, friends, is if we go on the adventure. That's what I'm inviting me, you, to do. And on this adventure, I am certain of two things. We need an absolute commitment to Jesus' kingdom of God mission and make it our own mission. And we absolutely need each other because there is no way that we can ever go on this adventure by ourselves. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that we 